1: Hey, what's up there, Surf Splendor podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. Um, Hopefully you're enjoying the Fiji Pro. Uh, As I record this, it's men's round three, round four right now, and the waves are kind of pumping, so that's fun. Um, But if you're new to Surf Splendor, thank you for joining us and uh, all past episodes We have Archived. This is episode 40, so there's 39 episodes archived for free. You can get it on iTunes or Stitcher, anywhere that you actually uh, normally download podcasts. Surf Splendor is available, or on our website as well. You can go there and just click play or even download the file. So make sure to catch all past episodes And then something that's somewhat new is that we've embedded a Spotify player on the music archive page of our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. So there's a playlist of music that's used in each episode, and you can just go and listen to that playlist. So if you've ever wondered what any of the music is that's used in Surf Splendor, that gives you all the answers that you need to know. So check that out, share it with friends, and also just share this show. Uh, It's easy to do via social media. You can follow us at Surf Splendor on Instagram and Twitter, and then on Facebook.com forward slash Surf Splendor. So check us out there, and then again, share from that point with your friends. Uh, We don't advertise this show at all, and so the only way that it grows is just with you telling friends and spreading the good word. So continue to do so because the the numbers increasingly grow every month and that's really um what we need to have attract larger guests so that's ultimately the goal is just to produce higher quality content more frequently um and so we'll be able to do that the more people that are listening so that's it in terms of business uh today's episode is surf news with scott bass so enjoy that and i will be back in the end to sign us out
2: thanks that answer for talk Radio. Right yeah, Scott Bass, David Lee Scales with you here. It is June 4th. It's a Wednesday, and David and I haven't done a show in, what, two or three weeks, right?
0: Yeah, I think it's been three weeks. Um, we were supposed to meet last week, basically, and then we um, you were still recovering, I think, from the boardroom show, and we had just scheduling conflicts, so one week off, essentially.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, um, um, go ahead, bud. I was
0: just going to ask you about the boardroom show. Do you want to go straight into that, or did you have something else you want
2: to be- Well, yeah, no, let's go into that. But I guess we should tell the listeners that we're trying something new here. We are recording remotely, and we're hoping that our audio quality will be uh, worthy of, of listening to this, let alone the, the production quality of our content. Right. I think it will be. We did a little test run yesterday, and the audio quality seems to be okay. And I'll do my best to kind of sweeten David. Yours up a little bit, but I think yours is pretty good.
0: Really pulling back the curtain for uh, for the listeners, huh? Dude, they're Letting going to know exactly what's happening behind the scenes.
2: They're going underneath Disneyland where all the machinations um, occur and take place. Why not just tell them what's going on right up front?
0: I guess so. Yeah. No. I mean, the reality is Scott and I both drive forty five minutes in order to meet at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center in San Clemente normally to record our shows live or you know live to tape anyways so um last week that's why we couldn't basically get together it was just we couldn't find a day where we could take half a day off and meet so we're trying to do this in an effort of just being able to produce shows uh more consistently
2: yeah that's exactly it and and to get into this show and you mentioned the boardroom did we not do have we not done a show since the boardroom we have not. Okay. We did it the week before. Well, look, a lot's been out there on Instagram and on our internet site, um, my website, I guess I should say. Um, sorry, I'm adjusting levels here a little bit. Um, I guess the big news is, if you didn't already know, uh, Roger Hines won the Icons of Foam Shaping Challenge. He bested uh, Santa Barbara's Davy Smith, Matt Calvani from Bing, who was the defending champion, uh, Sky Richards from Florida, um, Cordell Miller, and Axel Lorenz. Who am I missing? Did I miss anybody there? I think that was no, all six of them. Uh, by
0: the way, Sky Richard made a, made a, wanted to make it clear to me that his name doesn't have an S at the end of his last name. It's just Sky Richard as S- opposed to Richards.
2: Okay, Sky Richard.
0: Uh, he was clear about it because he didn't want to – people to be uh mistaking him for being related to mark richards obviously <laughs> and he loves mark richards and he's like i would love to be affiliated with mark richards i just don't think it would be respectful right. to try to draw that same association wouldn't it be respectful to mark right so i thought that was kind of funny
2: that is funny um and he was a good guy sky richard a good guy from florida but clearly in over his head in this competition And you know what? I learned from it, you know, being the producer, the executive director of the boardroom this year, we thought it would be great to do a random draw. And I literally pulled names out of a hat. I must've had 200 and something names. And he was one of the guys I pulled. And I went, you know what? I'm going to stick to my guns here. I'm just going to email and tell him, congratulations, you're in. And he, and he was blown away and stoked. And, um, but when push came to shove and it was time to shape a surfboard of the sting, Ilk, if you will, he couldn't. Um, he he didn't really pull it off, and he was bummed about it. I don't mean to call him out. I'm just telling you what happened.
0: Yes. Yeah, so basically, to give listeners an idea, you um, were honoring Ben Ipa and his iconic Sting surfboard design, and you actually found the original Sting, one of the original Stings that he shaped for uh, for Buttons back in 1974. Um, The one that he's writing in the famous Jeff Devine portrait of him paddling out at Belzyland looking back over his left shoulder and saying, you know, aloha to the camera. Uh, That specific green board we had, you had on display at the boardroom show. And um, the shaping contestants were tasked with recreating that board. And they were given a 90-minute window, a close tolerance blank to work with that had the appropriate stringer configuration and all that. Um, but in a 90 minute window, I mean, that's a difficult task, even for the most seasoned shapers. So Sky Richard, who hadn't ever shaped a board like that, was coming in without that much experience. Definitely. It's not, I mean, it's no um, shame on him for not finishing the task. Other people haven't finished the task in previous years either. And I think there was one other who didn't finish this year too, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, Davey Smith, you know, got sort of halfway there, or more than he probably yeah. got. He probably got three quarters of the way there. Davy let me know going in that he didn't think he was going to finish, and he didn't really want to oh, rush really? the rush the thing. He wanted to do it. You know, yeah. he was really there to honor Ben Ipa, and he was just stoked right. to be there, as opposed to trying to win this competition. And <clears throat> it brings up a great point about the shape off, in that <clears throat> first and foremost, it is about honoring these guys right and in, in so doing you know by honoring them, you're trying to do your best and and replicate this classic design and um, and I really appreciate Davy Smith's attitude because that's really what it's all about for me from the from the director's standpoint is you know I want to make sure that yeah look we're giving a thousand dollars away and we're honoring you know, or we're, we're, we're gonna create a, a champion or crown a champion, I should say. But it's way more important that we, in do in so doing, that we honor the um, honoree.
0: Totally. And I think in your effort, I learned so much about Ben Ipa in the last kind of three or four months leading up to this event in preparation. And about that board design and how I learned that Ben Ipa invented the swallowtail. You know, and that's something I didn't know before, and that's a pretty important piece of information. I talked to Ben about it, and he's like, Yeah, I was in, I noticed what are the birds that turn the most, the quickest, you know, and have the most agility to swallow. And I thought maybe that dramatic tail design might have something to do with that, so I applied it in a surfboard, and hey, this is what we got. And then the wing hip in the board, how um, he was watching hydrofoil boat races in Oahu, and he noticed that kind of design implemented in boats and so he started talking to some of the boat owners and then took it back into the shaping bay and uh, incorporated that design into a surfboard you know? so those are just super interesting things that i wouldn't have learned had you not hosted this event you know and and that i i took the time to actually sit with them and get that information out of them but still yeah, no I mean that's part of the honoring
2: process. That's cool that I'm stoked to hear that, you know, because I know there's that you're not the only one that learned a lot. I learned a lot. We all learn a lot. I every year when I honor somebody, I learn a lot about them, and it's a lot of fun and uh that's a great trivia question down the line, you know, and and you know, this week, next week, in 4 years, whatever, hey, who invented the swallowtail? You know, that's that's a mm-hmm. great trivia question and um and Ben Ipa was just so stoked and it was so great to have him there and it was a really good thing, you know. the whole The whole boardroom show was a, a huge success. Um, I know that you were there both days as an exhibitor, and you know, from your standpoint, you know, what was your takeaway from it? Was, did you and you don't have to kiss my butt or anything? Did you think it was a success or?
0: Yeah, I thought it was a big success. Actually, um, let me was, let me start with
2: this. Let me let me ask you this: what what could I have done better? Mm-hmm. that way it's not like a big kiss-ass festival here. I'd like to hear some constructive criticism from you, because I know you can give it to me straight. I
0: can. I just should have thought about it in advance. Uh, I thought it was a really good show. I The only other one I've ever been to is the one in Orange County uh, last year. And that was larger, it seemed, in terms of square footage. I preferred this, where it just seemed... Uh, I don't know, more intimate, for lack of a better term, even though it's a giant space, you know, and it's like probably 100 foot ceilings. It's not very intimate, but it, it felt that way. Um, and I don't know if maybe that has to do with it being in San Diego as opposed, uh, as opposed to Orange County, too. I think there's a really good vibe in San Diego for board builders and for surfers in general. It just feels like a small town. Even though it's comprised of multiple small towns or a ton of small towns, it just still maintains that feel for some reason. Um, what I really like about the show, though, is all the important people who are just milling around, and they're not all exhibitors. You know, like um, Craig Stessic and Carl Ekstrom and Richard. You know, walking around together, and uh, Skip Fry. I saw walking around and. They're not, like, signing autographs or anything. I mean, I'm sure they would if you asked them to, but they're just there to enjoy the show and to witness the show. They're not there exhibiting or promoting anything. That's something that, again, I just think is so rad. You don't get in any other industry or any other, you know, if you went to, I don't know, maybe if you went to the Cannes Film Festival in France, you might see celebrities there, but I doubt they're going to be milling around amongst the lay people, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. That is a neat feature of the show. You know that look. Passionate board builders are passionate board builders. Whether you're famous or not, these guys are just craftsmen and artisans, and they like to kind of mingle amongst their their you know their their fellow their companions. You know the same types of people that they are. So, it makes a lot of sense that they would be there cruising around and. I mean, you know, I get a little, um, I don't like to talk too much about the boardroom show because I talk so much about it anyway. It feels like the listeners are like, all right, enough boardroom show, you know, let's get, let's get <laughs> after on. Four, you after know.
0: 14 minutes of talking about the boardroom show. Yeah, yeah.
2: Like I think we've got, and plus it's like, if you, if you haven't heard about it or seen it online, I mean, Surfline did a great piece on it and <laughs> the inertia and a bunch of media outlets have done great stuff on it. So. Not, not the, the least list. of which, by the way, is the U.S. blanks the new e-zine that you put out. That digital, um, I have, now, tell the audience a little bit about it. You sent me a link, or U.S. Blanks sent me a link, and I opened it up, and it was this great new software technology where you just kind of push a click, you know, click the side of the the page, and it opens up a new. Um, it basically is a magazine. It was really well done, and I know you must have spent a lot of time on that.
1: Yeah, it's just a
0: digital magazine, basically. Um, And I I was telling you, I think, in the last show that we did, that Surfing Magazine puts out really cool. I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. They put out super cool digital magazines after each ASP event.
2: Um, It's basically like images. It's basically like, you know what I mean? It's like images with great captions. Yeah. You design the magazine with the same software that you would use to design
0: a print magazine. Only instead of sending it to print, there's a website that you upload it to and the website just provides the platform functionality to flip through pages and to zoom in where you want to zoom what in. What is
2: that software that you're using to create a magazine?
0: You don't even you don't even download oh, okay. The software used to design it yeah. is Adobe InDesign. Okay. So it's part of the Adobe suite of products right. with Photoshop and, and all that. And you're it's
2: obviously savvy and and you know how to use that software, Adobe InDesign? Yeah. Yeah. How hard I mean, is that to learn? Easy. Yeah.
0: It's as hard as Photoshop. I mean, it's it's way more rich than I use. You yeah. Know? Like I don't access ninety percent of its functionality, yeah. but um, but you can figure out the ten percent that you need to know to publish something.
2: Yeah. There's probably great tutorials on there.
0: Always. Yeah, yeah. On YouTube, you can find stuff. Yeah. But um, but yeah. So I mean, that was just a recap for us blanks of the two shaping events that they sponsored, one of which we discussed with the Icons of Foam Tribute to Van Ipa, and then the other is the Chunk of Foam Challenge, which we haven't yet discussed, which I think is uh I think it's a great idea. And I thought this particular board that you were honoring this year had a lot of relevance to me and my time growing up, which was Losts five five by nineteen and a quarter. They're calling it the classic round nose fish. It was made famous by Chris Ward and Corey Lopez. And um I did a podcast episode, actually, with all those guys uh, last week, I think we published it, which was just interviews with all of them, talking about the revolution that was that board in the the mid-90s.
2: Yeah, cool.
0: So that was a great idea.
2: Well, I I can tell you that next year, um, you know, we've already chosen the honoree for next year, and next year we're going to be honoring Rusty Preisendorfer, and it's his... 30th anniversary of him coming up with the R dot label. Wow. Um, years prior to that, that's surprising, isn't it? 1985. It seems earlier, but you know, Rusty was shaping for Canyon for years and years and years, and he was signing his name. And um, before that, he had a really cool label called Music. And um, and and it's 30 years since 19. 19- Eighty-five and the R dot label when he first kind of went out on his own. Okay. And um, and so yeah, I'm looking forward to to honoring Rusty. He's certainly a an incredible San Diego shaper, a guy with a ton of San Diego roots. So it's going to be a really good show.
0: What kind of board are you gonna? Uh, are the contestants going to have to recreate?
2: Well, that's up to Rusty. You know, he's intimated that um, that 1984 model that that he made famous with Aki, that Aki rode, um, you know, I think Aki was like 17 years old or something. And he went out and just kind of lit the world on fire on one of those 19, on what they call now the 1984 model. It was just an, it was just an Aki Trifon. I don't, I don't really know what they called it back then, but, um, but yeah, that's probably the one
0: hanging They have one hanging up in their warehouse. I've seen yeah. with Aki's signature on it. Yeah.
2: That's the famous one. Yeah. And that's probably the one we'll have them replicate if, if that's the one Rusty wants them to do.
0: That's a rad board. I know they actually, it seems like they're maybe reintroducing that board to the marketplace for the anniversary. Well, they've, they've had it out um, there.
2: It's been out there. The 84 model's been out there for a long time. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. I saw Josh Kerr writing one recently. They've been promoting that. Um, I've got a, in the last show we did, you read an email from a listener named Teddy Allen who emailed his debate of our praising surfboard shapers as artists. Do you remember that?
2: Vaguely, yeah. We were, talking
0: about, we were talking about going into the boardroom show, and you and I were just like praising surfboard makers as, you know, the finest craftsmen of functional art that there are in the world. Yeah. And then Teddy Teddy Allen emailed us, and he was like, I don't think they're artists at all. I think the surfer is the artist. The shaper is the guy just shaping Yeah, surfboard.
2: I remember talking um, about that, yeah.
0: And then we read his email and then basically countered his point with our argument never gave him a chance to retort. Well, on a kind of incidental note, I was interviewing Hank Warner at the boardroom show, who's one of the shapers in the chunk of foam competition and completely unprompted. He mentioned that he doesn't view himself as a craftsman at all. And that shaping is not an art and that it is exact. It's just like any other, uh, blue collar job yeah, yeah exactly he's like I just listen to my customers they tell me what they want and I basically shake foam away to give them what they want but anybody can do it you know it's just a matter of hours spent during this craft so I thought that was really interesting and I thought that was a kind of a, a pat on the back of Teddy Allen you know for saying that and uh, not that there's a right or a wrong way to view it but it's just kind of yeah there's professional shapers who definitely agree with Teddy. Yeah. Wow, so that was fun. Cool, man. Um, final note, though, about the boardroom show. I want to give a shout-out to our listeners in Germany. Um, we, You had a vendor at the boardroom show who was there displaying a new kind of leash technology that he has, and he came out from Germany to display it. And then I had a listener come up to me uh, who's been listening kind of since Day one of my show, and he's been listening to a long-time uh, long time listener of Down the Line Radio, your show. But he's from Germany originally and now lives in San Clemente. And then just coincidentally, I got another email from a listener in Germany um, just saying how much they enjoy the show. So interesting. Not a country, I would think, to really, uh, you know, house a lot of listeners, but it's kind of cool. So shout yeah. out to Germany.
2: Yeah, for sure. That's cool. Um, you know the that leash that Hans created that was on display at the boardroom, which was like you say, the sort of new cutting edge technology for for leashes at least, um, was one of, you know, sort of the groundbreaking um innovations, right? And of course the other one, and I'm hoping that you'll that you'll do something with David Barr and Shapeshifter on your show, Surf Splendor, like an in-depth podcast with them, because I thought and I'd like to get your thoughts on this. The shape shifter concept, which is basically removable tails. You know, you basically put a tail, you know, you take out a round tail, put in a square tail, um, more or less, you know, for lack of a better way to describe it, using sort of FCS plugs, but they're not, they're different. Um but the really cool thing about that shape shifter is when you take the tail off and you just leave it as a square tail. um, And you move the fins up, now you've created a completely different surfboard, um, sort of a wider, like, fun kind of summer wide-tail ripper model. Um, And then you move the fins back and put on, you know, a round tail, and you've got um, a step-up, if you will. So you could take this board, and it's quite versatile on surf trips. You know, you've, you've got two boards in one or more, three, four, five, six different boards in one. You're just bringing
0: four, five, six different tails, basically.
2: Yeah, and, and putting them on there. And then you've always got that that base surfboard, which is that wider shortboard for the gravel stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so
0: I didn't really talk to him at the show, but I did kind of plan on revisiting the topic when I had more time uh, to really get into it and ask him detailed questions. But my question to you is, I mean, you and I know enough to know that the – a board one one element of board design really just works in symphony with all the other elements of board design so changing the tail shape and the thin placement doesn't do anything for uh, rocker outline of the rocker outline of the board bottom contour top contour uh you know foam distribution so what are your what was his kind of answer to that or did you
2: ask you know that? what I didn't answer I, I'm, I'm expecting you to come up with those hard questions David those are <laughs> great those are great questions though and quite frankly um, you know ones that I didn't really didn't really pop into my mind when I was just simply looking at the outline of the board um, but I think those are valid you know the back end of the tail that you take on and off and that you replace with other tails is probably only f- maybe f- three or four inches, which is a lot, right. but, um, but, you know, you could argue, look, the double barrel concave still in the board, you know, the, the V or whatever the bottom contour is, is still there because we're only replacing, you know, the, you know, but David would need to speak to that. And I'm sure he's thought that through. He's a, he's a, a really well established surfboard uh, shaper. So uh, it'll be interesting to, um, I think you should talk with those guys. I think that would make a good episode because he's, he's a great interview. He's got a bunch of good history too, that you could look into. You know, he was a pro surfer (laughs) for years and, um, you know, he rode Gary Linden surfboards and yeah, he's, he's been a part of North San Diego County surfing for a little 35, 40 years.
0: Okay. I'll definitely follow up with that. Um, the funny thing is, it's like people always say that the surf industry is so slow to adopt change. You know, it's kind of like, especially in board building material, polyurethane uh, surfboards with polyester resin, EPS has kind of had a hard time, but it's established a bit of a foothold. But other than that, people are slow to adopt, and I've always been critical of that. You know, I'm kind of like open to change, but anytime somebody offers. You there, Scott? Yeah,
2: I'm here. Why, can you hear me? All
0: right, what was that?
2: I don't know, what happened? Yeah,
0: something popped up. Could you hear audio cut in? No. Oh, okay.
2: I can hear you fine, though. um, All
0: right, perfect, sorry. So my point is just that anytime somebody offers some alternative design, I find myself being resistant to change as well or just looking to critique it, basically, all the ways that it doesn't work. So on one hand, like I want new opportunity and new material, but whenever it shows up, I'm kind of like, uh, I don't know if I want to be the one who spends five or 600 bucks trying to test this stuff
2: out. Yeah. I'm sure they've done some prototypes and they've done some testing on it, but you're right. The, the industry is slow to change. And, um, a great example of that is like, you know, the green technology, you know, you know, earth friendly materials, you know, you'd think, Oh, we're, you know, we're on the cutting edge. We're surfers. We love the environment. We love the ocean. But, you know, we've basically, you know, as a whole, the surfing world population hasn't wrapped its arms around the idea of a sustainable surfboard because nobody's, well, the real reason is that Kelly Slater hasn't won a world title on it. That's all it would take. Yeah. Um, is for one of these, you know, title contenders to to ride the entire season on one of these sustainable surfboards and and there would be a massive you know, that would be a tipping point moment. But in regards to David's shapeshifter, um he does have an uphill battle and he realizes that. The big thing is is that you've got to get all these man all these mon paw basic um they're basically ma and pa glassing factories. You know, there's like five here in San Diego, there's five in Orange County, there's five in Santa Barbara. And they're all run by different people. And you gotta get all of them to be on board with um, you know, you know, the production of this new design. And to do that, you have to get enough consumers going, Hey, I want this new design. Cause if you don't have the consumers, you know, beating down the factory's door and going, This is what we want, the factory's not gonna change. They're just gonna do and it and that makes sense. It's not in there. Um, overhead and uh, to to kind of tweak and uh, retrofit the way they do manufacturing.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, realistically, every corner of the industry, especially the board building industry, is so um, has such slim profit margin that there's not really a lot of incentive to like invest heavily into something new and try to make a go of it, you know, and try to be that, um, I don't know that, that cornerstone of change. Yeah. What's the upside?
2: You know, there's no real upside until, until there's a demand by the consumer for this product. Why should I, why should I retrofit and put all this money into this something that might just die, which might just fade away, you know? Yeah,
0: totally. So, but, um, you know, this podcast is a great way to kind of, uh, lay out ideas like that, and to get the public informed. So I'll definitely do that that interview with him, and see what comes of it. Maybe we can get some hype going. Um, moving on from the boardroom show, how about unless you have more to go?
2: I've got a bunch of stuff, but not on the boardroom show. How about? Um, yeah, I'd like to mention the passing of Ricky Grigg who is a really great guy. I I had I don't know if I told you this, but. I had the very good fortune of uh being invited to a luncheon at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography a couple of years ago for Ricky Grig. He was in town to give a it was about 2 years ago, you know, to this day because he was giving a commencement speech to the graduates of the Scripps Institution of Oceanography. And it was a really cool, intimate luncheon. There was, you know, maybe 20 people in the room and it was um uh, a lot of luminaries. I was really honored just to be invited. It was you know, PT and Rusty and his wife and Skip Fry and his wife and Steve Pesman and Jeff Devine and Carl Ekstrom and his wife. And so there was a lot of these like kind of La Jolla San Diego icons. And um, it was really cool. And and Ricky, we had lunch with him. And then he kind of spoke about his life and his life as an oceanographer. And, and then he took questions and people asked um, some really cool stuff about you know, his thoughts on global warming and his thoughts on our, our reefs really dying off. And and, and he spoke about uh, the death of Jose Angel, which is a great story and um, one that I would urge our listeners to just Google Jose Angel surfer and, and read a little bit about Jose Angel. And, and you know, Ricky Grigg was one of these. Um, I think what's so neat to me about Ricky Grigg was that he was this academic, you know, that he was this really... Um, he was a great surfer, but he wasn't the Spicoli type guy. He was just a—you uh, know—he was a doctor. He was a teacher at the University of Hawaii. He—he he, his life was based around searching for truth, and—and um, and I think we need more of those types of guys in the surf world. You know, we we don't need any more Spicolis or follow the fishes or not that there's anything wrong with those guys because it's fun to have fun, but I think that. But they shouldn't. They shouldn't be the ones that we are,
0: like, praising every single day and trying to emulate. Exactly. They're good for
2: entertainment. Yeah. You know? Exactly. I mean, there's only so many. Um, you know, who's the kid from uh, Texas that that Hurley does that has a blog that everyone loves? Um, the guy with the Sterling Spencer. Sterling Spencer. Yeah. Like, there's only the so Congress many of Sterling. S- Billabong. Yeah, Billabong, whatever there's only so many sterling spencers that we need you know and like every there's like a million sterling spencer follow the fishes and it's kind of old hat when we have these real icons of of learning and of truth seeking in in ricky grigg that i'd you know it would just be great if we could if we had more of these guys and if our culture illuminated them a little bit more
0: so you you mentioned that he's a scholar uh specifically he got his bachelor's from from Stanford, I think, and then um, a PhD from Scripps, right, in oceanography. Is that what
2: it was? I think so. I don't know. Did you just Google his name or something? <laughs> yeah,
0: no. I, I actually am on Encyclopedia of Surfing.
2: Oh, well, Matt, scroll, yeah, Matt, while you're Matt's got it dialed right there, you know, all of Matt's stuff on the Encyclopedia of Surfing for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, he he got either an honorary doctorate or his PhD. He got his PhD from Scripps Institution of Oceanography, okay. and um, you know, there's a classic story that big winter swell of '69. Here, he was one of the only guys, maybe the only guy, to catch a wave at La Jolla Cove. This is the same swell that Greg Knoll rode at Macaha, and um, and. Ricky talked about this at this lunch and he said he was surfing blacks. He tried, it was too big at blacks. And so he paddled up to La Jolla Cove and basically was, you know, I think one of the only guys out and there's, they actually have some, there's some great pictures of him riding waves or at least one wave. I think he caught one wave and rode it from La Jolla Cove all the way to the Scripps pier more or less, you know, into the, um, into there where the, um, that restaurant is there. It's skipping my, my old memory banks are fading on me, but, um, the Marine room, that's the name of it. So he caught away from Loya Cove to the Marine room. And, uh, he talked about that. And like I said, I was just so glad that I got to spend a little bit of time with him because again, he, he was a truth seeking guy that, and he had some outspoken, uh, theories about the reefs dying off and stuff like sure. that. And I'm not going to go into sure. it because I I don't want to butcher him. I'm not, I, I don't recall okay. exactly what he said. So I'd hate for somebody to attribute what I said. And I, you know, he deserves to, since he was a truth seeker, he deserves for us to know, you know, I don't, again, I just don't want to put words in his mouth. Okay.
0: You mentioned Jose Angel too. Can you give me a
2: quick uh, bio of him? Yeah. Well, the quick thing on Jose Angel was um, he's sort of, he, he he learned about surfing from a girlfriend. He moved to Hawaii with her. He became a really great surfer, a big wave charger, a real waterman. And then he became a diver and he dove a lot with Ricky Grigg and he and Ricky Grigg became dear friends. And he, he, he was this free diver guy that would go really, really deep and come up. And at one point he got the bends and he became partially paralyzed. And a few years later, he was diving with Ricky Grigg. Um, and it, Ricky said that they were doing a lot of studying of black coral and at one point Jose dove down and basically he never came back. He, he, he literally dove and just, they never found his body. And when Ricky told that story at the luncheon, he, we all, you know, he got a little choked up and, uh, it was clear that, that Jose Angel was close with Ricky Grigg and, um, That's an interesting thing, you know, just diving and never coming up. And they searched for his body for a long time. And to this day, they've never found Jose Angel's body.
0: Wow.
1: Crazy. Yeah. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs.
0: go to lipsenads.com now that's l i b s y n ads.com um so ricky brick passed away was it 2 weeks ago
2: yeah it was um was it yeah may 21 at his home in honolulu he was 77 years old he he died of uh, pneumonia but he had had he'd been battling throat cancer for about 10 years okay wow crazy dude and then another uh, milestone, our friend Peter Townen had his birthday last, I think, last week, and mm-hmm. I tried to find out how old he was. I searched all over his Facebook page. There's a lot of people wishing him a happy birthday, but I'm not sure. I bet if you pulled up uh, PT on Matt Warshaw's Encyclopedia of Surfing real quick, I want to say he's, I'm going to guess that he's 60, but... Okay. Uh, I'm not sure if you're are you yeah, pulling that up now it. first one so they to did find a blog out post on him
0: all right they did a blog post on him for
2: his birthday but they don't show anything really about his age that I could see <laughs> I think he's hiding his age there's nowhere that I, I could know. find could be doesn't it have funny. the date that he was born on the encyclopedia of surfing page you would think uh, uh, most of them do
0: but no it does not. Oh, born in 1953, so
2: that'd be 61. All right, so he's 61 years old, Peter Towner. Good
0: guess, though.
2: Yeah, and he's a great friend of the show and, and an all-around uh, go-getter, that guy. He's, he's at every function known to the surf industry and beyond. He's everywhere. Yeah,
0: he is, um, and it's funny... If he is trying
2: to
0: hide his age, that you are the one to force me to
2: out him on the show. PT, happy 61st birthday. Now, PT and my friend um, Dan Foote were at the boardroom and they were producing another one of their shows. Do you watch the show? Um, I think it's called – it's on Verb TV and I think it's called – is it called Surf Scene or – surf, I'm not sure. surf I, tv I anyway he was telling me that they're going to get um way more coverage in orange county and san diego county and la and throughout the california region uh for this for this show and I apologize to those guys I wish I could remember the exact name of that tv show but um I want to say surf scene
0: it's on verb is that like a youtube
2: thing no it's on it's it's a production uh it's a tv you know um Made for TV t- uh, surf show. It's not a, It's not wow. on. Um, it's not on YouTube at all. It's on like, you know, one of these community cable channels. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha.
0: Um. Okay. Cool. Um, do you want to talk at all about the women's event at Cod The oh.
2: T V Pro. Yeah, I guess we should congratulate the winner. Right of the Fiji Pro, the women's Fiji Pro. Go ahead and congratulate the women. The <laughs> who was the winner? I really don't even know.
0: Sally Fitzgibbons. Oh, that's right. Stephanie Gilmore. Yeah. Incredible.
2: Yeah, I watched it. I did. I watched it. And congrats to Sally. I like Sally Fitzgibbons a lot. I think she's she's. Uh, I like all the women. I mean, you know, for the most part, they really represent the sport well. They're healthy. They're vibrant. They're 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 athletic, right? So congrats to all the women. <laughs> congrats to Sally Fitzgibbons. Uh, now go ahead and tell me what you got to say, because I know that you sent me something earlier in the week that you were like, I can't believe how lame the women are. I don't know. I don't want to put words into your mouth, but what do you have to say about the women surfing at the Fiji Pro, David? Um, well, words can't describe it. I'll say that. Um,
0: the thing is women have been on a, with the women's world tour in terms of performance level has been on an upward trajectory for the last couple of years, I would say, you know, where it's just like they're killing it.
2: And, um, yeah, basically Carissa and Stephanie have really kind of raised the bar.
0: Yeah. And Tyler, Wright And Sally Fitzgibbons, you know, it's like, it's a really exciting time. So this was the first event, um, probably, that they've been put into kind of waves of consequence. They're in Fiji. They're surfing cloud and restaurants. Cloudbreak was a proper cloud break swell of like 10 feet, basically. And um, the women really underachieved. The surfers underachieved. They looked uh, completely out of place. The, the article that Surfline wrote after round one was entitled, More Blood Than Barrels. And they basically called them out. Like, from the first sentence throughout the whole article, they just said, like, look, this was an opportunity to shine. The waves are perfect. I mean, it's not big and, and treacherous, it's big and perfect, really. And, um, and they didn't get barreled. I mean, there was very, there was maybe five, not even five, I could think of one barrel that Sally Fitzgibbons got uh, in the semifinal against Malia Manuel, where she actually got properly barreled and spit out. And I think Laura Hennifer got one in round three as Yeah,
2: well.
0: You know, but it's like, you can't serve perfect cloud break and not get barreled and expect to be patted on the back and praised for this performance. So it was the the kind of overall vibe of the thing was just that it was a big step backwards in terms of
2: the performance level of women. So- yeah, you know, it's interesting um, what, you, what you bring up because – I would suggest to you that, look, if I'm surfing eight to 10 foot cloud break, I'm going to be on a 6.6. And those girls were just decided to ride. I don't know if they were riding just their normal 5.9s and 5.10s and 5.11s, but um, I think some of their board, their equipment choice held them back. And because they're so focused on doing turns and stuff rather than what the wave's calling for. And uh, you know I bet if a, if one of those girls paddled out on a seven foot Ross and pintail and just focused on getting tubes she would have won the event as, but they were Agreed. just seemed like they were they were they had the wrong equipment.
0: I think the equipment was the maybe fourth or fifth thing down the list that prevented them from excelling in the event honestly. Um, their approach was wrong from the get-go like they're paddling in on the shoulder of waves and then trying to make it to the shoulder to like do a little turn in the safety section of the wave. Like there wasn't any trying to backdoor the pit, you know? And even some of the ones where Steph was taking off late, it was like she was taking off late because she was on the pitching section of the wave. She wasn't behind it trying to backdoor it. And uh, But to her that was going deeper than the girls were taking off on the shoulder, you know? But it was still the wrong part of the wave to take off on. So – I don't know, a bunch of half turns out on the wide open face of the waves and uh, dodging barrels left and right. I don't know, it was pretty disgraceful. And not only a step backwards in terms of their performance levels, but really to the heart of the matter is it wasn't fun to watch. As a viewer, I'm tuning into this. I'm excited to be able to have this on during the day. And it was just like I get through three heats and I'm like, this is boring. I'd rather watch the men's QS event that was taking place in Sakaera, you know, in the low seats, surfing a two-foot beach break. That—that's how exciting it was, or lack of excitement.
2: Yeah, you know, it's—it's it's, when you think back, way back to women surfing, and you think of like Margot Oberg, um, and even Joyce Hoffman. I mean, those girls were charging huge Sunset Beach, you know, and right. this is thirty-five, forty years ago, maybe more. And now these girls can't even you know, put on a performance at eight to 10 foot cloud break, that's kind of disappointing, especially since just a generation before them. um, You know, you look at Rochelle Ballard, you look at Lane Beachley, these girls were pushing each other. And and right now the only one, the elder states person is Stephanie Gilmore. And so she needs to be the one that sort of pushes these younger girls. And if she's not like, charging and going deep and going, come on, girls, let's go. You know, if she's happy with riding the shoulder and maybe not pushing it, then the other girls are just going to follow her lead. And, and you know, like I said, like, you know, Megan Abubo, uh, Abubo uh, Rochelle Ballard, Serena Brooke, Elaine Beachley, these girls were charging, man. And, and it, it, in that regard, it's a big step backwards.
0: Well, to me, the girl... Who's leading that charge that you're talking about? It's not Stephanie Gilmore. It's actually the youngest girl who is a wild card entry into the event. And her name's Tatiana Wesson Webb. She's uh, from Kauai, little goofy footer, literally 14 years old, and she was charging, and not only charging barrels, but like she didn't really have the the talent set that some of the other girls have, but she was attacking the lip. You know, it's like she would just be driving off the bottom in the the hollow part of the wave and going straight up into the lip and like free fall dropping. And she was making heats too. She wasn't the most graceful surfer, but she was making heats. And uh, they're also doing as part of the event, GoPro sponsoring this GoPro challenge. And whoever gets the best clip of the event uh, while using a GoPro is going to win. I think it's $10,000 or something. And she's actually leading that GoPro challenge right now. Uh, over the likes of Owen Wright Wiggly Dantes and some of the male uh, ASP like top ten surfers, she's doing better than they are with this. For a fa- for a frontside barrel, she got uh, it.
2: Well, good um, for her, and and hopefully, you know, these girls, you know, these girls are young. You know, like the oldest one, Stephanie, right? She's twenty five or mm-hmm. whatever. A lot of these girls are between, I don't know, how old are they, David? Like eighteen to twenty two years old.
0: Yeah, totally.
2: So, I mean, when you look at them and their age relative to the men's tour, the men's tour, I bet the average age is 28 or 30 or something like that.
0: Right.
2: Maybe a little less. But the average age on the women's tour is pretty young. So they they, they haven't experienced this type of thing, you know. I, um, but they do need somebody, and I don't think it's going to be Tatiana. They need an elder statesperson to lead the charge and to push – and, you know, they need a Kayala K- Kenley to just be like, going, come on, get up here on the point where the real waves are. You know, somebody that that they're going to look to and go, wow, I'm you know, this is the real deal. This, this, this girl knows how to charge.
0: Tell me about Rochelle Ballard. Um, we talked about it a little bit yesterday, but I know during that event she posted a wave that she caught 10 years ago at Cloud Break, right? And the thing was, I mean, if any one of the men got that wave yesterday in a heat, they would have gotten a 10 for writing it the way that she wrote it. Just a big backside, long
2: barrel that she got a quadrate. What did she write with that post? Well, yeah, she she posted something on Facebook that said, hey, look, you know, I'm stoked the girls are, are out there and that they've got good waves and that they're sort of charging, but they're not really charging the way we charge. And she sort of called out the commentators because the commentators were sort of glossing over the women surfing, saying how – you know what a breakthrough performance this is that they're at eight to ten foot cloud break, and Rochelle posted up a, that video that you mentioned of her getting an insane barrel in her heat, you know and doing it with grace and style and and just obvious you know, capability and um and and yeah, so she kind of called out the commentators, saying, "You know don't forget about us, don't forget your history, Joe Trapel, or whoever it was, you know, and she brings up a great point, and she did it in a classy way she wasn't you know she didn't have sort of a mean spirit about it or the tone, but she was kind of going, we were out there, you know, it's not that hard to find a YouTube clip of me pulling into an insane one. And she did it. And, um, I think it's a good point. I think that, um, you know, if that's one thing we learned from the women's Fiji event, it's that, um, they got a long way to go relative to just a generation before them in the big stuff.
0: Yeah, they do for sure. Um, We'll post, by the way, that video clip of Rochelle on our websites. Uh, mine is surfsplendorpodcast.com, and then Scott's is radio.com. So that stuff, and then the link to Ricky Grigg and uh, footage of him surfing and all that, we'll post on our website.
2: Yeah, um, for sure.
0: One thing, though, my question leaving this women's uh, Fiji event is will we see the women surfers buckle down and start taking – trips to big wave reef breaks or will they retreat to more comfortable spots like loans? Like when they have free time in the off season, are they going to be booking a trip during a maxing out swell at cloud break to practice in preparation for future events?
2: I doubt it. You know, um, maybe a couple of them will, and I'm not so sure if very many people care to be honest with you, David.
0: I, here's why. Here's why I care. I want to see another women's event at cloud break next year. Uh, but I want to see them rip, and I want to see them surf really well. Like if I'm given the option of next year at this time, we're going to watch the girls surf, you know, Taranaki, New Zealand, where it's waist-high barrels, or we're going to see them surf maxing out Cloud Break, I would rather see them surf maxing out Cloud Break if they're going to get barreled and spit out.
2: Well, I if think they not, ha- I agree with you. you. You bring up a great point. Like they have to. They have to surf Maxing Out Cloud Break. If if the whole vibe of the tour for the women goes, hey, you know what? That was too much for us. Let's go back to lowers, and that's who we are, and that's what we're going to be, then it's a a failure. It's a complete failure.
0: Well, here's my own personal observation of just things that I've noticed in life when this stuff happens. Like we're hit with this speed bump, right, Uh, for women's – performance surfing let's say we're hit with this speed bump just as a collective group of surf fans and the liberal side oftentimes will like if the asp basically next year doesn't do the event at cloud break the liberal side will be like shame on the asp for not giving women the same opportunities that they're giving men to perform in quality surf if the asp doesn't Or uh, then does the event? They run the risk of uh, doing more harm than good. Basically, if this event next, if the event next year, if they perform as poorly as they did this year, I would argue it does more harm than good. So there's kind of this thing where they want to, you want to, you want to point the finger at an oppressor that's holding women surfing down it's the ASP for not hosting the event or it's because they put them in these terrible conditions or whatever. But I really don't think that's what it is. There is no puppeteer who is the oppressor. I think it really comes down to the individual surfers. And so when they're in the off season and a maxing swell hits cloud break, it's, it would behoove Stephanie Gilmore or Carissa Moore or any one of those girls to book a ticket and fly out there and practice on those waves. And secondly, we would allow them to capitalize on the shortcomings of their opponents. You know what I mean? If they are the only ones doing it, all the better, because now they're the ones who are going to be better equipped for the next event that's actually held there. You
1: know?
2: Yeah, that's a great point. And I, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about another way to incentivize them to do that might be: what about if we? doubled the points for certain events for the women or even the men in that matter like what if the ASP commissioner had the ability to go you know what it's 10 to 12 feet guess what we're doubling the points for this event you know like just randomly has the power to go this event gets double points cuz it is mac daddy and you know the the commissioner sort of holds that power and and he can do that if um if sunset beach is whatever it is or if chopu goes mental or if cloud break goes mental, Um, but you can really kind of only do it at, and again, I'm just brainstorming. I'm not sure that's a great idea to give the the commissioner that type of power, but for the women, if you went, look, the cloud break event is a double, uh, the Fiji Pro is a double points event. That might incentivize the girls to go, oh, you know what? It's 12 foot of cloud break. I better go practice. Yeah, that's – I don't know that the commissioner should be able to do that just willy nilly. There needs to be some sort of structure. No, 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 no. Willy nilly over a Mai Tai at the Tavarua bar. <laughs> it has to happen. Um,
0: the ASP did 10 questions with Kelly Slater recently. And that was actually an exact point that he brought up. Kelly said, quote, I really think Fiji and Pipe and possibly Chofu and Jay Bay should be considered quote majors end quote for us. Um, and be given double points. Three or four events with 20,000 points for first place, the money doesn't matter, it's the value uh, for quality locations that should have an emphasis placed on it, and not dream, and and the non-dream wave, uh, dream tour waves can stay, but take a back
2: seat, basically. I've been saying so that count- for years. I'm, I've been a big yeah. fan of having major events, and the obvious ones are, are Pipe, and Chopu, and Fiji, and and Jay Bay. You know, those should be the majors. Yeah, that's a really great point. I think that, uh, it'd be nice to see them implement that.
0: Uh, Honorable mentions among the women. There were a couple of performances throughout the event that are worth noting that uh, really did capitalize on the high quality of waves. Number one, Malia Manuel, um, for... Her backside snaps that she was doing in round one, I mean, she was attacking eight-foot cloud break the way that she would attack three-foot Huntington when she won that event at the U.S. Open when she was a teenager. So that was really, really impressive to see, and the one kind of shining moment in round one. And then Laura Ennever, I mentioned in round three, she got a 9.27 and a 9.57 in one heat. And one of them was getting... Barreled and then coming out and just going top to bottom through the lip snaps like two or three of them. So, those were amazing performances and uh, kudos to those girls for stepping it up in those heat.
2: Well, fair enough. And now we have the men underway here. And, um, you know, Surfline sent out a missive basically saying, hey, it's not going to be all that great. And the low tides in the afternoons with those winds made for some pretty good waves yesterday and the day before. Um, The earlier heats, you know, a little chunky, not quite as good. But um, those afternoon heats, a cloud break, uh, Kelly Slater certainly made it look good.
0: Yeah, and the waves have overachieved what they thought was uh, forecasted for this swell. But I would say even on the waves, the heats that really aren't barreling, where it's just rippable cloud break, it's far more enjoyable to watch than the Rio. For example, now I know it's not dreamy cloud break, but it's still a fantastic
2: wave. Yeah, and and there's some great surfing going down, and um, you know, Owen Wright to me looks like uh, right now going into round four looks pretty solid, and of course Michelle Bresz looks good. Um, This is one of those events where it separates the men from the boys pretty quickly, and you get the top guys, you know, just shredding. (laughs)
0: Yeah, well, uh, we're going to do a full show, a recap show for listeners after the event, so check in for that next week. It'll probably be at the beginning of next week, I think. Um, But I would agree with you. Kelly Slater looks – Kelly Slater, Owen Wright, Michelle Perez, to me, uh, are the three guys who look just absolutely in form. Kelly, above all those other guys, because he doesn't seem to fail. Those other guys look brilliant when they're on, but then they'll have off Kelly doesn't have
2: off at Cloud Rain. His, in, his in home spot. you know, I, mean, I don't know how many years I've been saying it, and we've all been saying it, not me. I'm nothing special here, but uh, his performances out there and anywhere. I mean, he, he's still day in, day out, no doubt about it, the best surfer in the world, even if he doesn't hold the world title. Just his the overall sort of vibe and mojo that that he carries out into the water, he just looks so much more dominant than everybody else. And it's just, uh, it's it's pretty incredible. And again, there's really no, no words that can describe it unless you, it's kind of like if you've watched his career for 20 years, you're just dumbfounded by how incredible it is.
0: Yeah, and I would argue that Cloudbreak is where he does his best service. Uh, maybe the argument could be made for Pipeline as well, but, I mean, really, Cloudbreak, to me, I think if he was pressed to pick a favorite wave on the planet, maybe he would say Cloudbreak. It looks like he was born and raised there. It's really, really, really something. It's him at his best. Yeah. Um, a couple of things, though, that we could talk about without really unpacking each individual piece. There's no sponsor for the Fiji Pro. Did you notice? It's just the Fiji Pro.
2: I think that's great.
0: Yeah, in the past it was the Volcom Fiji Pro, and there was other things uh, prior to that. But I noticed it during the women's event, and I just assumed Volcom was going to sponsor the men, but not the women. But, uh, yeah, interesting to not have a sponsor. I know they're doing Rip Curl ads in between heats, so I just assumed Rip Curl paid for that ad space. But... uh, they're, you know they're not uh financing the uh
2: the, the paychecks and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no I I'm you know I'm okay with that whatever no, I I think that what will happen is people will um some companies going to step up to the ballpark step up to the plate I mean here for next season to do to, I mean why wouldn't she sponsor this event? And I'm sure that their sales, their sales staff is probably trying to aim big. They're like, you know, let's get a massive, you know, I don't know, GoPro or Fiji Air. I don't know who it is. But you know, I don't think that matters too much to you. And I, I'm just means, you know, I guess less commercials.
0: No, but it is curious to me. It doesn't really matter in terms of the production quality of the, our, our viewing experience. But it does matter to me just behind the scenes stuff is always interesting and i look at Volcom as a free sponsor and i'm thinking why wouldn't they sponsor this event and when i reflect on the past events the reason i enjoyed them so much was because Volcom's commentary team they brought dave wassell in to comment events uh who is brilliant and hilarious alex gray would come in And those guys were a great asset and they're hilarious and they would do little games for giveaways and stuff. And part of the ASP's new move is that they have their own in-house commentary team and the sponsors don't dictate that. So I think for Volcom, it was kind of less incentive. It's like probably going to cost them as much or more to sponsor it this year. And they're probably going to get less out of it or have less control over it. Yeah. They're
2: a company that wants to have their own marketing run their own trip and they're not going to be told how to do stuff. And that's probably a big part of that. But, um,
0: well, you know, just as many
2: people would argue, would, would argue that, you know, they don't like the Vulcan broadcast team as would argue that they do like the Vulcan broadcast team. And as you know, you and I've talked about it, ASP wants some consistency and they want a professional trip. They're trying to sell this thing to the big hitters out there and big hitters want, Um, sort of the standard paradigm for sure and
0: in regards to the commentary team uh, in the last two events Pete Mell was absent and uh, Strider was added Strider Strider, uh, on the the desk that Todd sits at he's not commenting on Heath really they just tossed at him at the desk and then also in this event, Ronnie Blakey was added on the boat doing post-heat interviews, kind of doing the job that Pete Bell was doing in previous events. I personally think Ronnie Blakey is the best addition that we've seen this whole season. He is fantastic. He always has been in the past, but seeing him now in kind of stark contrast of his absence, I think he's super, uh, he's, he does his research prior to everybody that he interviews. He's quick on his feet, he's savvy, he obviously serves, which is uh, in question with some of the other commenters, you know? So, I just, I've really enjoyed the addition of what
2: I, did. I totally agree with you, He's he could easily take the part of, um, of one of the play-by-play guys, like the one that, um, Pat Parnell, he, he could take that role, no problem. Uh, Ronnie Blakey's a complete professional. knows all the guys. Um, is, you know, has a ton of knows his history, um, and just he seems professional. He he knows what he's talking about. All the things that you mentioned, he's a big plus. And they're wasting his talent on the boat. Quite frankly, I think he should be in the booth. Yeah,
0: maybe, although I loved him on the boat, you know, but maybe you're right. He might be better utilized. Uh, And I like Pete Mel, though. I'm sad that Pete Mel's not there because he does a good job on the boat, too, or during the post-team interviews. But a perfect example of Ronnie's preparation is when he was interviewing uh, Ace Buckin after a heat win yesterday, and he specifically – he references an injury that Ace Buckin's been dealing with, but he mentions it by name, by the medical description of it, which was it was a foot injur- injury and he knew exactly like the proper terminology for it. And even Ace Buckingham had a laugh, and he's like, whoa, dude, you're really doing your research there, Ronnie. And it was evident that I don't think anybody fed Ronnie that information. In all likelihood, the production team would just say, uh, Ace Buckingham's coming off of a foot injury last year. I think that it's Ronnie who takes the incentive and does that extra level of research because we never saw it before. You know, yeah. if other guys were doing it before. Then it would be the production teams doing probably yeah. but in this case. It's just, it's fresh and it's new and it's like, I really yeah. appreciate
2: that. Yeah. He, he needs yeah. to be, he needs to be more involved. However they do it. They need to ramp up his involvement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's quick. Hey, um, I have to get going pretty soon here. I'm, my daughter's got a big graduation mass in a little while. You got a cooking to do? I do. Um, before that, I want to mention one thing: um, the 100 Wave Challenge. I'm I'm heavily involved in the 100 Wave Challenge, which is September 20th, and it's a fundraising event for the Boys to Men mentoring program here in San Diego. Uh, Boys to Men is in, is um, has programs at middle schools and high schools in San Diego, and it uh, mentors. Uh, young men that, you know, 90% of them don't have fathers or their fathers are in jail or they're not part of their lives. It mentors these young men and <clears throat> teaches them how to go from being a boy into a man and what it means to have a value system and to be honest and um, to live life with integrity. And uh, I'm a big, big supporter, and big fan of what this mentoring program does. And the 100 Way of Challenge has an ambassador this year. It's Sean Thompson. Former world champion surfer Sean Thompson um, will be surfing beside me and another 300 400 guys that are going to be attempting to catch 100 waves in a 12 hour period. And when then we get sponsors to give us a dollar a wave, so um, you sponsor us you, for a dollar a wave, we catch 100 waves, uh, we raise a hundred dollars, um, we get 10 people, we raise a thousand dollars. That's the goal for each of us to raise a thousand dollars. Uh, The 100 Wave Challenge, uh, if you could Google it, 100wavechallenge.org, check it out. David, I'm going to get you involved. You don't know this, but you're going to be joining me alongside Sean Thompson. You're going to be catching 100 waves and helping us raise money. And so this week, you are my Duke Kahanamoku for agreeing to compete, to be a part of this one hundred wave challenge, and I just want to thank wow. you. And I want to thank you in advance.
0: Am I the one writing the check, or the one surfing next to
2: you? No, no, you're surfing next to me. You're going to catch oh, hundred okay. waves, and you're going to get ten people to give you a dollar a wave.
0: Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Just so like I went from being the the kook of the week last time to now <laughs> being upgraded to duke, and then I'm going to be the kook next time when I decline your generous offer to catch hundred waves.
2: No, you'll always be the duke even if you decline. <clears throat> but I don't think you'll decline. I, I think you're going to see the goodness in this because I know I know that uh <clears throat> I think you understand how powerful this program is and what it does. You know, so many times I'll I'll be on Facebook and I'll be reading uh you know people complaining about overcrowded prisons or what's wrong with our society and it's like, well, here's our chance to do something that's going to make a real difference really quick and uh, turn some young kids' lives around. These kids are at that age where they're literally making their one bad decision away from being in prison, and they're one good decision away from, you know, moving on in high school and going to college and and living a fulfilling and useful life, one that makes them relatively serene and comfortable with unresolved problems, and um, it's a a really great program, and I know you're going to enjoy surfing with Sean Thompson and I, and... You'll, it's kind of cool because they—it's like a jogathon. So they provide tons of support. There's—you get all the food and beverage you need. They have masseuses there. They have shade tents, and um, catching a hundred waves isn't that big of a deal, really. And you have twelve hours to do it. September twentieth down at Mission Beach.
0: Okay, cool. I like
2: it. Great, great idea, and I appreciate being the Duke. I never thought this day would
0: come. I'd like to thank all the <laughs> people in my life. <laughs> right on. Um. Uh, uh, I'm going to give my Duke real quickly. It's not surf related, but Maya Angelou died last week. And I mentioned in a previous show uh, that I saw, I don't know why I mentioned it in a previous show at some point, but I did that um, I saw her speak one time and it was a really, really important thing. uh, And just felt like the, one of the few times in my life I ever really understood what it like to be in the presence of greatness. And I've heard that phrase used before, but that's the only way you could describe it. Uh, from the moment she came out to speak it was just being this aura overtook you know the entire audience and you just listened to every single word that she said and so that was a really important thing for me. Um, so she's going to be the duke of the week for me even though it's not circulated.
2: So right now you're you don't have that sense of being in the presence of greatness
0: uh, I don't, unfortunately.
2: <laughs> does that, I have the, does that um, mean your wife's not nearby? The,
0: she's not nearby. Okay. Uh, being in the presence
2: of uh, goodness, let's say that. Okay, fair enough. I'll, I'll uh,
0: so, what about the
2: kook? Um, I don't have a kook. Um, okay. I only have kook, I only have Dukes in in my thoughts right now.
0: I like it. I'm going to give one superficial kook shout-out to the guy that you mentioned, Pat Parnell. Not an overall kook, but just for using the phrase, sends it to the top, to describe every single maneuver that somebody does always. So somebody will go for a floater, sends it to the top for a floater. Somebody will go for a cutback, sends it to the top for a cutback. Somebody will go for a snap, sends it to the top for a snap. So just listen to that when you're watching the event today.
2: And, uh, Sounds like a new drinking game, you know, every time he says Sends yeah. It to the Top, you...
0: Exactly, you'll be super annoyed, so All uh, right. I hope, I, I don't know if Pat, I doubt Pat listens, but if he does, maybe scale back on the Sends It to the Top a
2: little bit. Fair enough. Uh,
0: Must-see moment, you got one?
2: Um, yeah, there's there's this really incredible footage of Skeleton Bay, Um mm it's floating around on it on the internet i saw it yesterday it's that left at nambia that just incredible left the same swell that i think some of the big wave world tour guys were chasing at dungeons in south africa that same swell hit yeah. and um just a mental mental inside out over the top like you've never seen skeleton bay before i know we've seen footage of Corey lopez and other guys surfing it really good but this is as big as i've ever seen it and just and 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 just you just got to watch it, and we'll put it up on yeah. the website. Yeah,
0: incredible! I've seen people posting it, but I haven't actually clicked play on it yet, so I'm anxious to see it. There, um, my must-see moment. I'm just going to hammer this into you until you come over to the dark side. Uh-huh. A year, or not a year ago, but when we first started doing this show together, I mentioned a surfer from Australia, young up-and-coming kid named Matt Banting. And you're like, who's that guy? Ah." And then he made the semifinals at the U.S. Open. And then he won both the men and the juniors event at the Australian Open of Surfing in the same year. I think last year. Um, He's incredible. And he just produced or released a new edit. And that's my must-see moment of the week. It's called Mex Australia. I think it's footage of Mexico and Australia featuring Matt Banning. Two and a half minutes of him just shredding. So he's going to be on the CT in a couple Maybe next year, maybe two years from now, and you're going to be like, hey, man, this kid, Matt Banning, serves really well. And I'm going to <laughs> point my finger at you and be like, yeah, remember two years ago when I told you about it? So Matt Banning, must All
2: right. Well, I can be your kook in, in two years when you call me out on that.
0: There
2: you go. All right. Well, um s- David's website is surfsplendorpodcast.com. Go there and check out all the stuff from the show that we talked about. will be posted on there as well as on my site, Down the Line Surf Talk Radio. Uh, is it downtheLineRadio.com? Yeah, downtheLineRadio.com and surfsplendorpodcast.com. And you can email me at uh, surftalksandiego at gmail.com. surftalksandiego at gmail.com. And David's email is... Uh, it's hello at surf. I'm sorry. Hello at surf
0: podcast.com.
2: All right. Until next uh, time, adios and aloha.
1: Thanks once again for listening to surf splendor. Thank you, Scott Bass for co-hosting today's show. And if you are new to Surf Splendor, all past episodes are archived on surfsplendorpodcast.com for free. So you can go back and get 39 episodes for free. Make sure to share them with friends. Uh, We have an episode with Sean Thompson, which is really interesting and enjoyable. Uh, One with Tom Parrish, Chris Cote on the fallout of Transworld Surf, and many, many more. So have fun going through those and then make sure to check out the new Spotify player that we've embedded on the music archive page of SurfSplendorPodcast.com where you can find all the music tracks from every episode that we've used. So check that out and follow us on social media at SurfSplendor on Instagram and Twitter and then Facebook.com forward slash Splendor. We will be back Next week, or just at the end of the Fiji Pro, with a recap episode. Which, if it isn't in the next couple days, it'll be at the beginning of next week, looking at the uh, swell forecast window. So, check back for that. Until then, this is the host of Surf Splendor, David Scales, saying thank you for listening and mahalo.